ticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. taking the time out to chat with me. I'm so excited. I am too. <laughs> the generic question that I wanted to start with, what were the classic films and the classic film actors that you fell in love with that got you into wanting to be part of this crazy industry we all know and love? Oh, well, as soon as we had the Late Late Show on TV or the afternoon matinee or whatever it was to see an old movie, I would be acting them out in my room. I charged the neighbors to come and watch me in the garage. I was singing and dancing. I directed shows not only in the garage, but then when I got into school, I directed. I was always putting on a play mm -hmm. and I was always auditioning and I was with the little theater group. It was just my passion from the time I can remember. And so... I'm a baby boomer, so my dad was in World War II. He was in the Pacific Theater and was a Navy Air guy. And they came back and they were singing all those songs. That's what I heard around the house. And so I think a lot of times it's what you're influenced by. And my mom played the piano and then they did a little act around the house. They loved movies and they loved music. So it just couldn't help but filter down to me. <laughs> I know for me and a lot of people, you hold some of that old Hollywood glamour that we still watch TCM to get glimpses of. You know, oh, is, is that you. does that create a pressure? Is that weird to hear? No, it's so flattering to hear. Way back before WKRP, I did a TV movie with June Allison and Ray Bolger that Danny Thomas produced called Three on a Date, and we were all going on the dating game to Hawaii. June and Ray, he danced. They told the funniest stories. She said to me one of the most flattering things ever. She said, oh, I wish you'd been with us in the studio days, and they would have groomed you like Lana Turner. <laughs> How wonderful to be around people, to hear those stories. Everyone I adored was still living, pretty much. I mean, certainly a lot of them were gone. But when I was first here, I came in 75, well, in 78... WKRP happened and I started getting invited to all of these fantastic black tie events. There was a lot more socializing than there is now as far as just Hollywood parties, mm -hmm. honoring people. The Variety Club honored somebody every year and Chasen's, the world famous restaurant in Hollywood, catered it. You would just get dressed up and go and there would be Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart everybody who was ever left alive at that time, and really, they were probably my age or younger, there they were. They had no idea how much they were adored by a movie buff like me. I walked up to Paul Honreed at one of those events. I said, oh my gosh, Mr. Honreed, I'm on And he said, do you know who I am? <laughs> and I said, of course. And he was like, oh, I'm so surprised that someone as young as you would know who I was. I thought, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> and the first time I met Cary Grant, I was speechless. We were in the buffet line for the Chasens after the Variety Club event. I just was stuttering. Finally, I said, I'm sorry, Mr. Grant, but you just take my breath away. And he said, the feeling is mutual, my dear. <laughs> and then he told me that he had seen me in the Jane Mansfield story. And he said, I worked with her, you know, and I was thinking, oh, no kidding. <laughs> 
I kept thinking, Cary Grant watched me on TV. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I feel so lucky that all of those people were alive. And they also did the love boat. <laughs> so you could actually work with some of those giants, like working with June Allison and Ray Bolger on that TV movie. They were still around. Then Bert had dated Dinah Shore. Well, she right. was 20 years older than he was. And I was 10 years younger than Bert. So Dinah's friends from that era, she brought all of them into her relationship with Bert. And then when Bert and I were together, he brought them all into my life. Wow. So Fred Astaire danced down our steps for when we had a house party. And Betty Davis did Win, Lose, or Draw on the blackboard in our <laughs> living room. And Orson Welles. Ricardo Montalban and his wife, Georgiana, who was Loretta Young's mm -hmm. sister, are my son's godparents. I was so privileged, and Cary Grant, oh my gosh, the fact that we actually socialized with him and when he was married to Barbara. We went to the racetrack with him and everything, and I used to think, I just can't believe it. I have to pinch myself. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet, just hearing all of those stories, I would be a dithering mess, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely, or going to an event with Elizabeth Taylor, because she and Bert got an award together, so she came to our house to go with us, and she borrowed a pair of stockings because she got a run in hers, and I just kept thinking, my dad died before I ever became a blonde, so I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I wish dad were alive. To see all of this and to think that this was happening to me, he was most in love with Dean Martin. And we used to hang out with Frank and Dean and Sammy. And I'd be the only girl in the dressing room with all of those guys. And I do have a funny story about classic movies. And that is way back when Reagan was president, mm -hmm. Bert and I were watching on, I think it was probably American movie classics at that time. We were watching an old movie on TV. and. This is before cell phones, so we had the phone in the bedroom, and it lit up, and it was like 11 o'clock at night. Bert said, oh my gosh, who would be calling us at this hour? We had a live-in guy, and he called up and said, Mr. Reynolds, the President of the United States is on the phone. Wow. And we were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so Bert picked up the phone, and it was Ronnie and Nancy, and they were watching this movie on AMC, and we were watching it, and they said, we thought, we can't remember this actor's name, so we thought, who else would be up at this time of night that we could ask who are movie buffs? Oh, it's got to be Bert and Lonnie, so let's call them. <laughs> and I remember that we were chatting back and forth, and the actor they were trying to remember was Ian Wolfe, who was in every classic movie ever. You must look him up. He looked like an old man for 50 years. <laughs> he was also our butler on WKRP. Okay. He was Mama Carlson's butler on WKRP. And I was the one, of course, who knew who he was because he was on my show. And we laughed and laughed and we hung up the phone and we went back to watching the movie. Then it took us about, oh, I don't know, 20 seconds when we turned to one another and said, oh, my God, we just talked to the president of the United States. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Fun memories for me. 
it's always funny to me, Reagan being president, but he was also an actor. It's yeah. funny to me to watch him in some of those film performances and the performances that he gave. Some of them are really great. And then realize that he had that Hollywood atmosphere, but he's also the president. The it's president. very surreal. He was the most beautiful president, wasn't he? It just looked like he was right out of central casting. He was just gorgeous. Exactly, exactly. I revisited the Jane Mansfield story and White Hot, the Thelma Todd story, before talking to you, and I got to rewatch them. They're such great fun and interesting looks at these two women who have not had a movie since you made the two movies. Which I is, know, isn't that amazing? Do you think that the time is right to revisit these actresses Some, again? Here's what I think. Sometimes I think... Nobody should ever remake a classic yes. or remake a movie. And then other times I think, well, what about the new generation? They really don't have any touchstone. Mm -hmm. Yes, if we could get them to watch something in black and white, that would be wonderful. And even in color. But there are a lot of young people who just are not drawn to classic movies. No, it's sad. And so how would they ever know about the story unless you remade it? So I'm torn between should you remake it? Or should you just leave it alone? Obviously, to me, I think Gone with the Wind, you just leave it alone forever and yeah. ever and ever. But maybe lesser-known movies could be good for the retelling and actors and actresses that the kids recognize. But then Alfred Hitchcock, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see I'm very torn. It's definitely a question. And I think with TV movies, too, there's not a lot of preservation already that right. goes into them and the fact right. that both of these have dvds i think is a miracle considering Isn't it? exactly oh my gosh, yes. what was your previous experience and perception of jane and thelma prior to taking on these two projects well i had no real familiarity with thelma mm -hmm. but i did with jane because of course she was an era that my dad talked about jane mansfield and marilyn monroe and that that was in our lives. I think I was 10 or whatever, 12, young enough and old enough girl to remember Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. And they were both so young when they died. Yeah. So they're always in your mind as those blonde bombshell. Yeah. The epitome of the blonde bombshell, but not Thelma. I saw her, but I didn't realize I was seeing her. I liked the Marx Brothers, and I would watch that with my dad. I did come across her, but I really wasn't aware of her. It's fascinating that Thelma, she was really the first funny blonde woman before Carol Lombard, even. Yes. To do her own thing and to create her own persona and shtick. And be a glamorous woman. Right. A beautiful, glamorous woman who's funny. Now, through the years, that was not a big deal. And nobody really paid any attention. Glamorous women were never funny. Funny people were funny, but not beautiful women. <laughs> Even when I did WKRP in 78, it was a breakthrough for television to have a glamorous woman be funny and be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Those three things just didn't go together. Now I'm sure young women would say to me, what are you talking about? But in 78, it was a big deal. It's still hard now. I was just watching a documentary about women stand-up comics, and they still hear all the time that she's a woman and she's funny. It's still a thing. And it's still a thing. It's still a thing, and we hope that it keeps evolving. Yes. Because it shouldn't be such a big deal. Yeah. Being funny is my very favorite thing in the world. 
and being blonde was an accident for me. <laughs> so I didn't grow up as a blonde bombshell. I grew up as a sultry brunette who looked rather ethnic. People used to say, what nationality are you? Are you Native American? I went to a modeling agency, and they actually asked me if I was black. During the summer, I had a tan, and I had this black hair, and I had the high cheekbones and everything else. So I was always fighting that. And then I just embraced it, and I played uh, Julie in Showboat in Chicago. I did Fiddler on the Roof for 53 weeks straight on the road. <laughs> <laughs> so I embraced my dark hair and the fact that nobody really thought I was funny as a brunette, and I kept thinking, hmm, I need to let people know that I'm funny. When I did Born Yesterday in Minneapolis, Minnesota, it was a one of those star dinner theaters where they brought the star in, and I auditioned in a blonde wig, because I knew I could do it, but I thought if they see me in my black hair, they're never going to cast me. So I auditioned, got the part, and on opening night, I took my wig off, because I even rehearsed in my blonde wig. I never wanted any of them to have second thoughts about casting me. And I asked the director, if you had seen me like this, would you have still cast me? And he said, I hate to think that I wouldn't have, but maybe I wouldn't have. Wow. Yeah. It was a lesson. And I dabbled in the blonde wig thing a little bit. We had something called the University of Minnesota Showboat. I played a blonde character in a play on that when I was at the university. And then I did a blonde experiment in Chicago. I went to a, like the dark night, Monday night bar mm -hmm. with all the actors congregated and went in my dark hair and everybody treated me with a great deal of respect. Other actors, we were exchanging ideas. And then the next week I went in the blonde wig and everyone treated me like I was invisible. And nobody asked my opinion or cared if I had anything to say, but on the table in front of us, I had drinks lined up from guys at the bar, and the bartender would come over and say, blonde-headed guy at end of bar, <laughs> guy with bow tie at corner table. And then the board of directors of Hiram Walker was having a meeting in the party room at this place. The bartender came out and said, the board would like you to join them for dinner. <laughs> and I'm in the blonde wig and I'm thinking, no, I don't think I'm going to do this blonde thing. And that was maybe 74. The blonde thing was an accident after I got here. Uh, cameramen kept saying, your hair is like an ink blob. It's absorbing all the light. Put some streaks in it or something. I just went to the drugstore and started experimenting. And, and when I got WKRP, I was kind of in the midst of kind of being blonde, but not really. Hugh Wilson, who created the show, said I want her to look like Lana Turner and be the smartest person in the room. So I went to a professional hairdresser. And, and then I thought I'd go back to my dark hair, but I never did. <laughs> Here I am, Ace. still a slave to these black roots. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jane and Selma, to an extent, were both underestimated women whose beauty often worked against them. And we see that in both features. I think the Jane Mansfield one more so. Did you then or do you now relate to them in any way? Oh, absolutely. Both of those parts were just offered to me, so I didn't have to audition for them. They just came to me. The Jane just was, I realized that there were so many similarities in our background. She'd been a teenage mom, 
and she was a brunette and she had a high IQ and she created this persona. Mm -hmm. So I completely related to that. And she was the first, oh, she put the Kardashians to shame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Merchandising herself. Absolutely. Most fascinating for me to study her. And there were people alive who had stories to tell about her, including Cary Grant, who just said she was the sweetest thing. I could research her. I even got to know Marishka. Mm-hmm. And then Marishka Hargitay and I did Gambler 5 together. Because when I say that it was Mickey's story, Mickey had written right. the story about her. It came from his point of view. So the movie we did was from Mickey's point of view. And he didn't want to meet me. And I just thought, hmm, maybe it's just too close. I don't know. I said to the producers, Alan Landsberg Productions, you know what? I can't do this movie. I don't think I can do this movie without Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they were all like, what? He's not an actor. I said, yes, but he is Mr. Universe. And that is the biggest part of her attraction to Mickey. Yeah. And I said, so I don't think we can do it without him. And they were like, mm. and I had enough clout in those days to say, well, I don't think I want to do it without him. So they said, well, let's meet with him. We did. And sometimes he was a little difficult to understand. We'd do a take and we'd all look at him and go, what? <laughs> <laughs> but he was so game. He wanted to be good. He wanted to be an actor. And he's so smart. And he has a sense of humor in two languages. He's just a special guy. He was perfect. He was just perfect for Mickey. He really is. It's always shocking to me to see that when he did this film, this was his big debut, because it feels like he's been acting for ages. He's very polished. And he has that warmth that I think in a different movie this guy would probably be one note or villain or something. It would just be played all wrong. You both have to have a lot of trust in this film because of Jane's end, unfortunately, and the relationship they had. What so was tragic, yeah. Right. What was it like to work opposite him? Did you guys block out a lot of sequences? Was there a rehearsal between the two of you? What oh, did- my gosh. We worked for three weeks on the lift on their stunts. And he lifted me. The amount of physicality for me to keep myself straight so that he could just lift me with one hand and hold me in the air, we really did that. (laughs) And we practiced that for three weeks. Now, the other thing we practiced was trying to do the Jane Mansfield Mambo. Mm -hmm. But no matter how hard we tried, Arnold just was not musical (laughs) and he could not get the beat he couldn't get the steps he was so cute and I said well just we kept saying to him stand there and I'll dance around you (laughs) (laughs) but he could do I mean the acrobatic stuff was because of his strength and also the physical condition that I was in Mm. I had to have that hold myself just taut so I didn't mind doing the bikini scenes because I just was a little muscle but having him lift me took a lot of faith on both of our parts yeah for him to lift me into the air you're also doing a voice i did a voice yeah i think it was a combination of i studied her on talk shows and her movies everybody got me video so i could watch her 
and that she put on that voice and she had an intake squeal instead of an out squeal. So she squealed as she breathed in. Mm-hmm. Really worked on that. And I had done, of course, Born Yesterday, which I had the dumb blonde voice down, but hers was not exactly that. It was just a more breathy, higher, little squealer, little girl kind of voice, like a child. Mm-hmm. So it was just so fun to do her. And I'm not as curvy as Jane. I don't have curvy hips. I have more straight hips mm-hmm. with the behind, and the bust in the behind, but the straight hips. So some of my costumes had hips built into them for, for Jane. Wow. Did you get the opportunity? I don't know if the Pink Palace was still standing when you guys did this. It was, yes. And you know who owned it was Engelbert Humperdinck. That's right. The heart-shaped pool was still there. Alan Landsberg Productions kept saying, we can't get them to agree to let us shoot at the heart-shaped pool. They don't want us anywhere in the house. And, oh, we were all so disappointed because there was that wonderful scene at the Mm heart-shaped pool. So I was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson talking about doing Jane Mansfield, and then who does he bring out as a guest but Engelbert Humperdinck? <laughs> so I thought, oh my gosh. And being the feisty person that I've always been, <laughs> he said to me, you know, I live in Jane Mansfield's house. And I said, I know you do. And we have been desperately trying to get you guys to agree to let us shoot the pool scene in your heart-shaped pool But so far, all we've heard is no. And then I turned to the audience and said, wouldn't you love to see Arnold and I in the (laughs) heart-shaped pool? And they all screamed and yelled and everything. Well, what could he do before Engelbert? (laughs) He had no choice but to say, of course you can shoot at the pool. (laughs) That's how we got permission to shoot at the heart-shaped pool. Wow. Well, by the same token, did you get to visit Thelma's actual sidewalk cafe when you did White Hot? We shot there. Yes, we shot there. The interior was done somewhere else, but the exterior we used and those steps, we shot all around it because the inside is offices. Mm -hmm. Now, when I drive down Pacific Coast Highway, I never pass that without waving and saying, hi, Thelma. I know. It's on my list. uh, I got to see it. I got to see it still. Oh, my gosh. It's there. It's beautiful. And it looks just the same. But I have to tell you, I had... A really eerie feeling being there. I was going to ask, so yeah. the crew and the cast. We did shoot up on the street behind the actual residence. Going up the steps and everything else and just being around it, we kept saying, there's a vibe here. There's just a vibe. If people believe in that, it's like she's there. Yeah. Was there a similar vibe when you were at the Pink Palace, or was that... Yes, and I have to tell you an interesting story about that. Now, Engelbert said none of us could go inside the house, except I had to jump in the pool, and he said to me, you may go in the house, but no one else. (laughs) I'll have them send a little map to you of how to get to her bath, and you can take a shower there, but no one else. Don't bring your... anyone. And so they had a guard at the door, so none of the crew or the cast could go into the house. We could only shoot in the backyard. So when I got my little map, after we did the pool scene, and I had to go in and shower and get ready for the next scene, I'm looking at my little map, and I go to Jane's bathroom, and I'm alone in the house. And Engelbert had said to me, they had been lovers. Mm -hmm. And he said, sometimes I smell her. And he told me that backstage at The Tonight Show. 
And I thought, do-do-do-do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, oh, that's fascinating. I think men were obsessed with her. She was that kind Oh, yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. I go into the bathroom. I've got my towel. I get in the shower. It's all steamed up. And I see a shadow outside. And I thought, oh, my wardrobe lady has come in here. I said, hi, hi, I'm in here. I'll be right out. Then I opened the door, and no one was there. I locked the bathroom door, and it was still locked. And I thought, well, that was so strange. I know I saw the shadow of a person, and I know you might think I'm crazy, Kristen. Oh, no, no, I definitely. (laughs) I got the chills. I'm telling you, I thought, Jane, are you here? And I said it out loud. Jane, are you here? I hope you like what I'm doing. And I smelled the smell. It was like, ooh, chills. That's the one thing I love, one of many things I love about living in L.A. is visiting these locations. I mean, I think some of them do hold remnants of the people that live there. So, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I'd have been freaking out right alongside <laughs> you. <laughs> Anyways, my coveted little experience. I came out and said, did one of you sneak in? Well, I was, and everybody was like, no, nobody went in the house. And how could they have gotten into the locked bathroom? Right. You know? And for a while, I didn't tell anybody because I thought they'd think I was crazy. But then I thought, well, why not share this incredible experience? Exactly. I spend time at the Roosevelt Hotel and people say, have you experienced any hauntings? I'm like, no, I'm not understanding what I'm doing, that I don't get the ghosts or something. I don't know. Maybe (laughs) you you need to actually go dressed as somebody. Probably. Maybe that draws them out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that White Hot was directed by Paul Wenkos, who did my favorite movie, Gidget. What was he like to work with since he had experience with the studio era and had worked during that time? Oh, he was just wonderful. That's a beautiful movie, by the way. It is. It is. Um, It's a gorgeous production, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I read somewhere that the costumes that you wore in that movie were reproductions from The Untouchables. Yes, and they brought real stuff out. Yeah. And you can't sit down in them because <laughs> they're satin and silk and you would wrinkle them. So I had one of the old-fashioned leaning boards that they used to use for actresses. Really? When they put me together, I have kind of olive skin because I'm a brunette. Mm-hmm. And Thelma is this platinum blonde with the peaches and cream skin and the whole thing. I remember I had the manicurist who did the red nails because they were more rounded, pointed from the era. I mean, the costumes, the makeup and hair department, the art direction, all of it was just so beautiful. And the direction and the shots, the dolly shots that were so intricate that we did. It was just a beautifully done movie, but I had to have body makeup from head to toe and once in a while, the director would touch me, and then it looked like I had a bruise, and they'd say, don't touch her, don't touch her. It's funny, you come yourself in the morning without your makeup, and, and people just fix you up and put this creamy white body makeup all over you and, and the whole period thing, and then I had the lace wig that was platinum, because I'm sure if I tried to be platinum, my hair would just break <laughs> off and be on the floor. Then I'd get all done. And I'd get into this silk 
and only had an undergarment that the wardrobe people made because that was an era where women just were nude yeah. under those satin dresses. I had like just a little help from this beautiful sheer undergarment that had no seams so nothing would show through the dress that gave me a little uplift in the in the bust. <laughs> I'd look in the mirror, then I'd go and look and think, oh my God, I'm just fabulous. <laughs> and don't touch me. Nobody touch me. I'm just fabulous. And then they'd put those real gardenias in my hair and stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was like when you're a little girl and you think playing dress up and being somebody else. That was like the whole pretend part that I really got to be from that era and look that way. It was glorious. It's really an opulent production, which you don't often see at that time. From a TV movie? Yeah. No. And at the end, we recreated that in the casket thing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's actually on film. Uh, It was on black and white film of her in the casket. I think that's the only time I've ever been in a casket and it made everybody so nervous and I said do not make me laugh everybody don't make me laugh because I can't breathe during this thing I'm supposed to be dead right <laughs> so, oh my god that's kind of a, an eerie feeling but her casket was draped with yellow roses which it was a blanket of yellow roses over the casket her mother was something wasn't she yeah <laughs> yeah Lois was unbelievable. Oh, my gosh, yes. Wonderful actors in that, too. Yes, it's a great, great amalgamation of performers that, again, you don't often get in a movie No, for a TV movie, it's really a rare, rare thing. Right, exactly. Well, I know in talking to various actresses who have portrayed Marilyn Monroe, it's really hard for them to divorce themselves from playing a bombshell that followed them. Was that the case for you, especially with playing... Jane, was it hard to separate after doing that film? During and after, almost impossible. It took me a while. I have to tell you that I was married at the time to an actor who we had come to Los Angeles together. So we met on stage. His name was Ross. And Ross would, he called me Skits. (laughs) (laughs) Because I just couldn't separate myself from Jane. He'd say, hey, Skits. Like, who are you? (laughs) It was an amazing time. Even my daughter would say, Mom, Mom, you're scaring me. But you do get that wrapped up. Yeah. And my daughter, by the way, played Jane Marie. She did, yes. Yes, and she had never, I'm not a person who raises my voice. Once in a while I use the mom voice, we all know who that is, But (laughs) and I don't drink, and so... We didn't rehearse that scene so we could get the proper reaction from her. When I come in drunk and smashing things and everything, we did the scene and the look on her face is just perfect because she's in shock. The director said cut and she ran into my arms and said, oh mom, you scared me. I've never seen you like that. And I said, that's good. (laughs) And my mom was still alive and we went to a screening of Jane Mansfield and she reached over and grabbed my hand and said, I forgot it was you. (laughs) And I said, that's the best compliment you can ever give me, Mom. Oh, yeah. In reading reviews, I was searching some reviews for both of these movies. 
There's a very weird interest from critics at this time in terms of looks, analyzing your looks as opposed to yes. the, the content of the movie. We're right. talking now in 2021 about how the media ends up critiquing women higher than they would a male with like Britney Spears and Meghan Markle. For you, how do you look at how the media portrayed you in general in your career as we are reevaluating the pressures of being a woman in the public eye? I think there was always that really grading your looks or that it would say Lonnie Anderson bombshell. Yeah. And Margaret and I talked about that. Is our name ever mentioned without some bombshell thing or a word like that behind it? Of course not. You, no. You know, <laughs> and you don't say that about guys. Nope. And so, yes, it's, it's a very hard thing to get past. Yeah. And we're still just inching our way, hopefully, past it, but it's still there. It is. In doing my homework and researching your life and career, add on to that being part of a power couple at the time. I was researching you at the same time I was watching the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry interview. Oh, and dear. I was seeing a lot of similarities in terms of that presentation of being a power couple and the spotlight exactly. of being a woman in that couple, that you're on a higher pedestal. Bert used to say to Quentin, your mom separately is a big deal. I separately am a big deal. But together, it's almost too hard to handle. And that was true. I'd had a couple of experiences with my former husband who moved to Los Angeles together. And, and my career took off and his didn't. It ended our marriage. Then I dated Gary Sandy, who was on WKRP with me thinking, this is better. At least he's on my same show. And well, I got nominated for an Emmy and he didn't. And that became an issue. Bert was asking me out through, there was always some third party calling me saying, would you go out with Bert? I was like, they have him call me himself. I said to my assistant at the time, maybe as a woman and being successful and making money or whatever, there is no one left for me but Burt Reynolds <laughs> to date because I'm never going to make that much money. I'm never going to be that famous. And so he's the perfect person to not be jealous of me <laughs> and not have a problem with. And yet, even though he was all that, there was still a jealousy in our relationship and in our marriage of if I got a great review or if my TV movie was the number one movie of the year or something like that and got huge share. That was, even with his amount of fame, that it even was an issue still. Yeah. Listening to that, it's like hearing Joan Crawford, Betty Davis. I mean, all of those big actresses. It's so yep. hard to find somebody you assume is your equal, but then you're like, why do I have to find an equal? And then even then, it's not... Women, we still have to work twice as hard, even in our personal life. And even then, there's still that it's belief. It's very true. Yeah. It's very true. That's still there. And then when the press is all around you, yeah. and, and it's so much worse now with social media, oh, yeah. for Megan and Harry to have that kind of pressure on their young lives. I watched it and thought, oh, I just feel this. I feel this for you because 20-some-odd years ago, I went through this. And there's no way you can win. Yeah. It's a war you can't win. 
you want to speak up for yourself, like when Bert and I got divorced or any time during our relationship, but then you start a war. And then it's a back and forth, and he said, she said, and do you want to get into that? It's so hard not to say, that isn't true, rush out into the middle of the room and yell, what are you talking about? I I think I waited two years after our divorce to write a book just because I thought, I want to have something around that says, from my point of view, what this was. But still, I mean, till the day he died, he would say stuff, and we did talk to one another. I would say, why did you say that? And he'd say, oh, I don't know. It sounded like a good story. (laughs) And I think, oh, God. (laughs) I've been reporting for my day job on the Alan Farrow documentary, and it feels like that's kind of the same. Like when women come out and say something, they're a shrew or they're bitter or they're a harpy or something. I'm like, but when men do it, it's the truth. Why is that? I know. I was on with Andy Cohen the other night. They take questions from the people watching. And there was a question that said, Bert once said you spent $45,000 on his credit card in 90 minutes. I had to say, I never had a credit card from Burt Reynolds. I had my own credit card and my own finances, and this never happened. But I know what Bert was thinking. I lived with him for 12 years. He thought it was a cute story. Mm-hmm. You just go, oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but there it is. It's still alive, yeah. see, even after all of those years. Exactly. Well, I know you've said in a previous interview that Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood were the last of the great stars. I think they were the last great male movie stars. However, I see Brad Pitt maybe is coming close. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, do you that. think any yeah. stars of today are inhabiting that yeah. same level? I of- think he might have that same feeling in a room when you walk into a room and and go ooh yeah that's the aura of that star power have you met brad pitt yes Ooh, okay but that was when he was married to jennifer aniston (laughs) oh okay and i believe i was with bert at the time so it's a long time ago but i see him at functions and i think I think you have that. Well, you know, he's single now. So if you wanted to be part of a new power couple, I would support this personally. The older woman and the younger man. Why not? Exactly. Exactly. Age difference is all good when it's an older guy and a younger girl. I know. And that's always been the case, right? (laughs) It is. So you got to subvert the paradigm there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to take up your entire day. So I want to throw out one last question. We started by talking about the possibility of remaking either Jane or Thelma's story today. If they were to remake either one of these, what would you want them to highlight that maybe wasn't highlighted when you did the films originally? Oh my gosh, I think with Thelma there are so many more layers. Andy Edmonds' novel is what Mm -hmm. our script was based on. But there have been many more where Roland West said he killed her. And there's so much more that's still a mystery about how she died. I think it's really exciting to have Lucky Luciano in there. But there might be more even intricate plot twists with the research that people have subsequently done over the years. Our Jane story was through Mickey. I don't know if it could get better than that point of view that was his point of view of her someone might do something 
less flattering. I don't know. I know Marishka always liked it and would tease me. And, and when we did uh, Gambler 5 and she'd flub up a line and she would say to me, Mother, where were you when I needed you? Give me the line. <laughs> and she was so cute. It'd be interesting uh, to see your movie touches on the struggles that Jane had in wanting to be yes. a serious performer. That would be interesting to see maybe played up a bit more in wanting to be Jean Harlow and the fact that so many people compared her to being a wannabe Marilyn and that famous picture with Sophia Loren and right. so many people I think have notions of who she is based off of image. But they Instead don't... of what she really was. Right. And, and the marketer that she was. Yeah. Since that's such a popular thing today. Oh, yeah. She'd have um, been great on Twitter. She absolutely <laughs> would have taken it over. Yeah. She would have been the queen of all of that. So I think that would be really interesting to delve into. And I finally did meet Mickey. Marishka brought him to the set of Gambler 5. He flew in from Florida to meet me. And we all hugged and cried like we were a family. Wow. And there's something, I think, for any actress... When you play someone who has lived, and you live her in your heart, and the people that loved her know that you had that kind of respect for their person, that brings you very close into their their family. So, yeah, I'm a little covetous over Jane and a little <laughs> covetous over Thelma, so I have to try and massage my own ego to see somebody else play them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, looking at having this conversation with you and looking at the amazing people that you've worked with. I mean, I didn't even bring up Bob Hope. You had worked with him yes. and I live right down the street from his house. Oh, uh, so. I know. Oh, my gosh. And we did at least 10 specials together. Wow. He was so spectacular. You and I need to talk some more. Yes, I am always available for you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh, because I would like to talk about all of the movies I remade. Yes, you did. Where the actresses were Academy Award nominated for that performance. We will and have I to would do... love to spend a show talking just about that with you. You name the day and we will do a part two. That will happen. Okay. okay. Thank you, Kristen. <laughs> that would be fun. Yes, yes.